0: Folks, just a quick introduction. This video is going to be an hour long. I was invited to uh, be part of a bonus episode to my favorite podcast called The Soul of Enterprise. The hosts, Ed class and Ron Baker, in which I am interviewing, or they're interviewing me, or we're having a conversation in this episode. They've helped me and my accounting business a lot. Uh, what they teach, which is moving from uh, charging by the hour to charging based on the value you provide to your customers, has been very transformative for me. And probably a couple of years ago, i say like two years ago, they started talking about the new subscription trend, right? Where many businesses are selling their services based on a fixed monthly subscription, fixed annual subscription. And they started discussing this publicly in their podcast, what if professional services was sold as a subscription? And I'm experimenting with subscription as well as value pricing which is how we price our projects i've been experimenting with it for a couple years and i'm also trying to figure out what is the best way to provide a service uh, that provides full value and also gets priced and gets delivered as a subscription because more and more businesses that's what they want they want predictable pricing they want fixed pricing they want to know that the firm covers all these things over that fixed pricing And that's something that I'm thinking long and hard for my own practice. So this episode talks about that. And I'll put in the description below the link so you can listen to Ed's podcast, The Soul of Enterprise. And also, if you love the podcast, I strongly encourage you to join their Patreon site, which is a paid subscription to the podcast that also includes additional episodes like the bonus episodes and ad-free episodes for the regular podcast. So this is going to be, a video recording via zoom of a bonus episode we did for the patreon group of that so i hope you enjoy this conversation all right welcome to the soul of enterprise bonus episode number 100 if you are watching this in your podcast feed because you're a patreon subscriber of the soul of enterprise you might have noticed that this episode is out of order we are up to episode uh, 103 and uh, this is bonus episode number 100 due to multiple scheduling issues. Ron and Ed wanted me to be in episode 100, but we couldn't make it. But now we made it. I'm Hector Garcia, and I'm a Soul of Enterprise super fan. Hey, guys.
1: Hey, Hector. Thanks for doing this. Looking forward to it.
0: So I guess yeah. we could just continue that conversation uh, from the episode <laughs> 303 on uh, value pricing 1.0 to value pricing I would love to add some comments to some of the things that you guys talked about. Maybe share some of my experiences and pick your brain because I'm also going through that transition, figuring out how to implement subscription in my practice. So I'm gonna go back for a minute and comment on something that Ron Ron said, which is, "Hey, check out. uh, You know, I got six, seven books that might be going obsolete because value pricing is gonna be uh, undertaken by subscription." And I, I like to push back, Ron, that. Um, for me personally, learning about value pricing from you and, and all the tentacles that it has—you know, the Peter Drucker type of thinking, the Austrian economics type of thinking, um, you know, the effectiveness versus efficiency type of thinking, the, the non-zero sum model type of thinking—all that stuff has fundamentally allowed me to view business as as something that's in the service of. Uh, of the customer at the end of the day. And that fundamental thinking allows me to choose if I wanna do value pricing or subscription and do it in in multiple ways. So I think in in many ways, your work and your books uh, do create a good framework for thinking about subscription model. I, I agree that many accounting firms probably look at the subscription model and they never looked at value pricing. And they say, oh yeah, that makes sense because they basically try to equate that with what they've already been doing with fixed pricing um, anyway. So uh, it's basically a shortcut or a heuristic. They just want to call it uh, subscription because it's, it's, it matches with the times. It matches with the, the trends and they just call it subscription and they think they did it. But I find it very difficult for someone that has been doing hourly uh, pricing or fixed pricing based on hourly estimates of their monthly work to move to subscription. So that you, you kind of need to have that earth shattering moment where you let go of, of, of pricing time and, and focus on pricing what the customer values. So I think your work run regardless of what you think, you know, subscription model will do to value pricing. Your work is fundamental and has been fundamental for me and for my practice. I wanted to comment on that.
1: Well, thanks, Hector. I appreciate that. I, you know, one thing I, I, I have been thinking about this and have observed that I believe that firms that do hourly billing and maybe fixed pricing hybrid a little bit would probably be able to jump easier to subscription than firms that have gone full on into value pricing to move to subscription because the mindset is completely different and and you would expect that because it's a different business model the mindset's different between value pricing 10 and hourly billing so why wouldn't the mindset have to change with subscription and it does but maybe not not having to make that that first jump to value pricing 10 makes it easier for them to jump to 20
0: I I agree that it's harder for me as someone that moved to value pricing, and 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 you, we've had conversations about the fact that some of my value pricing is sort of hybrid too, um, because I am hanging on to old ways that work really, really well, and and it really is that is it's when you when something works really, really well, and you you don't want to break it, and similar to what Byron yeah. is saying, you know, I, I I I'm I'm assuming that Byron, the person that wrote you that email, successfully moved to value pricing now. Anyone that successfully moves to value pricing goes through a lot of pain, right? a lot of pain, a lot of rethinking, a lot of unlearning, like, like Yoda says. Um, so it, you know, then going back and presenting, hey, you know, no longer going to look at deal by deal, client by client, focus on what that client wants, and instead look at your portfolio, look at the relationship, uh, simplify your pricing. That almost feels like going backwards to where we were before we did value pricing. So I, I totally agree with his sentiment on, on how much of a challenge bringing subscription model is when you have switched to, to value pricing. But the one thing I'll add is, like you're saying, if you've never value priced and you've always fixed price based on a monthly estimate, because a lot of firms, a lot of my colleagues, that's what they do. They tell me they value price and then when I ask them to break down how your pricing works, and they say this verbatim, they say i look at the client it's going to be an estimate between twenty to thirty hours a week, so i 'll break it in the middle, I take my value my, my current price, maybe i 'll give it a ten percent or twenty percent discount, and that 's how I come up with my price and, and and the reason why they do that is because it fits into a spreadsheet and for accountants, anything that fits into a spreadsheet gives us a sense of security and and what the the concept of value pricing this is before subscription it's toss the spreadsheet, you know, don't work with a sense of security, literally throw a number, pull it out of a hat, look at the customers in the eye and then see how they react. And based on that, you're going to price your job. I mean, that's, that's a crazy concept to people that are used to, uh, uh, used to using numbers as a way to calculate uh, a result of anything and, and, price is sort of a, a result. So, yeah, yeah, so I would say that's good. I see it jump in
2: here, Hector, because I think my, my observation, though, is I think it might be actually harder for people to, who, are, who are doing monthly, reta, quote, retainer work like that to actually truly get to subscription the way we're talking about it. That, that's why I said on the show, there, there's a lot of people who are like, well, we take our price and divide it by 12. That's not subscription in no way. And because that's actually closer to subscription, because it has this monthly billing component involved, they might think they're on subscription, but they're really not. Because what they're really doing is they're, they're, they're just having a, 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 uh, a monthly price for what they've done. But it, subscription has all of these other elements involved in it. For example, building new stuff in to the current offering there's, and the example that I use is there's no, hey, it's a dollar more for Amazon Prime when the new season of Ozark comes out. Well, that's, I missed metaphors because that's a Netflix show, but you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> that, there, that, there, that there's, that we, don't, we don't go about thinking, hey, we're going to increase price based on the fact, hey, we now do a new service. Hey, great, you do a new service. If you want it, it's, it's part of the deal. And I think that's actually going to be harder for people who have this monthly price in place. I personally think, and this is by still by far the hardest thing about value pricing. And I've written multiple pieces on it is that without the value conversation, there is no value pricing. And I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I run into people who say they're doing value price and it's put it, they're really just doing a fixed price or they're doing a monthly price because I ask them, well, so what's the value of the customer? And they stare at me blankly. Yeah
0: and that's a good point. What's the role? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Ron.
1: It was just, and and, and I think in subscription model, you're still having a conversation, but it's no longer about the value because the value is embedded in the price and the marketing and the branding and the positioning and your purpose, just like Dr. Uh, Paul. Uh, But you are having call it customer success conversation, call it transformation con, you know, where are they? Where do they want to be type conversation? You you, you want to assess where they are. Just like a doctor assesses your health. How do we get you healthier? How do we get you to lose weight? How do we blah, 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 stop smoking, whatever it might be. Um, So those conversations are still happening, but it's just the pricing element is removed. And I think there is some simplicity to that because let's face it, firms are not centralizing pricing like big companies can. Cause they're in a the partnership model and partnerships are not going to relinquish that responsibility. They're just not. Yeah.
2: That's that's a huge thing. And I'll say this Hector this, too, that it, uh, of the, all of the chapters and all of Ron's books, the one that's least valuable now is chapter 33, which is on project management because the, one of the things that I've clearly noticed is that, that project management doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it doesn't matter we yeah, do, just, we just we we do the work oh you want to change this month instead of concentrating on this you want us to do this no problem i don't have to have this scope conversation anymore i mean it's just like what do you want done we'll do it we'll get it done for you if it if we can do it we'll handle it
1: but, yeah we but just get means, stuff done we just get stuff done we just
2: we just get stuff done we're all gen xers
0: now yeah, we, we just, just get, get stuff, stuff
2: done. done we don't right. complain about it <laughs>
0: Right, and I, I, I think, I think of that way. Usually, like uh, with, with the PPP, without getting into the details of that, and this will make this uh, podcast dated, basically, by using the current situation. No, it, it,
2: it's, I think it's a good example. So, but, go but for the PPP it, yeah. is
0: just a, such a perfect example because. There was n- nowhere in my five years of, of studying this and, and transitioning and thinking hard about this, I was going to predict that this was gonna happen, right? That there was gonna be this huge government program, people were gonna need the cash flow. Look, as, as an accountant, it is self-serving for me to have my clients get the PPP funds because they have money to pay me, right? So obviously, you know, uh, it, it's, at the end of the day, it was very little effort for the value that we created. But because of the speed of it of how quickly you had to do it, how much you had to reinvent yourself, how many projects you had to take off to the side to focus on this 100 percent. Me as an educator on top of a a person running a practice, I had to read these laws every single week as the new changes came out. And I had to teach them in order to make sure that I knew what was learning them. So not everyone was having that same, I would say, self-pressure to do this. And to be on top of the game and to be able to serve our clients on the fly the way we were doing it in our firm. And we did that charging zero, like literally every single client that we had in which we done a tax return or they're engaged in a bookkeeping engagement, we dropped what we did to do their PPP applications. Not just that, when this thing came out, I called every single person in the firm they were working from home and say, every one of you is going to go into our database and build a spreadsheet of how much payroll each of our clients have in our in our list. And we were going to proactively call these clients and say, hey, by the way, if you don't want to run the risk of losing your employees, let's get on this right away. So we didn't just do it for them for free. We also proactively w- looked after them. And look, I had one specific customer that she's She's, she's hispanic and 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 spanish is her, her her first language she does speak english well though but she sort of it's one of those people that are that 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 just go up uh, life believing that those things are not for them right that they're not part of the system per se although she's got a construction business with 60 employees i called her and say hey you know this program is available for you you would get let's let me look at your tax return you would get four hundred thousand dollars or something like that and she's like no, Hector, that, that's not for me. I don't qualify. My business hasn't been affected. I'm like, dude, it's been a week of this, <laughs> you know, uh, of, of this issue. What do you mean? I mean, we don't know. And literally, I sat down with her for an hour. I had to explain to her the whole thing. and And I just had to... Work the skepticism of, what, what, of of a free government program that just throws money at you, and we did it, and we got funded and sure enough, she lost two huge customers, two projects got put in hold, and this money allowed it to stay in business so nice. sometimes sometimes we, we don 't know the impact of the work that we do and just us being ready to do it and, and again, I think some accountants uh, proactively charged for this work, some didn 't I have a, had a different reason. Uh, not to charge. My, my specific reason not to charge was as an, as an educator at the same time, if I'm doing the loan applications, I know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm doing them firsthand, which goes back to one of the conversations you had in this episode about the one-offs and about having customers that make you money or, or, or lose you money. Look, uh, before before we get to your question, yeah. I
2: just want—I I have a, a response to that sure. specifically. So, if you had to keep up on and read these regs every week, and this is—I would ask this question to lots of people who build by the hour: Who do you build the time to? The first yeah, you customer can.
0: you do, right? You can't, right, <laughs> right? But but this is this is a trick, Ed. If you if you have a a good relationship with your client, and that relationship is based on you know, the fact that you have a a monthly engagement or the fact that you do a good job or the tax returns or the fact that you answer the one-off questions that they send you via email all year long and you don't charge for it. Whatever good relationship looks like and you help them with the PPP. Uh, When it comes to the second part of the PPP of getting it forgiven, they're going to need that work and you bet your butt, I'm going to be charging for that, right? Uh, Because I have to look at every case individually and I have to look at your case and I have to build your it's like a tax return, right? I have to, I have to build the case, attach the documents, calculate and do it. And for that, I will charge. And every single person I did a PPP application for free it's now a potential customer, a potential deal that I will charge separately for because nowhere in my monthly engagements I have something like this in it. But moving forward, moving forward, I may have an engagement that includes, hey, extraordinary government loan applications, whatever, because I now I know those things exist. Before, before I just really couldn't even fathom it. So, um, so going back to the the specific statement you said, you know, or, or somebody said, hey, that. I may lose money with this customer or may not lose money with this customer. Look, I think that every customer that you lose money on, quote unquote, or that you work extra on, or the reality is I learned something new on, it's actually sort of an asset to your knowledge base. So the next customer that comes along, now you had that experience on the customer you lost money on, or you had to work extra on, and you'll make it on the next one. So that's where value pricing becomes really, really helpful. But with subscription, it becomes a little bit of a muddy thing, right? Like if I had a subscription model, and it included doing the PPP loans, it would have thrown off my entire business model. But at the end of the day, I did them anyway for free at no cost. So it didn't matter. So that's, I find that to be the most confusing part of, of doing the subscription is, you know, how do you include this covered for things that you don't know what they are. Like, they like, are. right. Yeah. You don't know what they are. Like, you're right. I'm not going to all of a sudden represent someone in a, you know, in a 1000000 dollars trust state tax issue. Cause that's not what I do. I'm not going to do that. But this other thing that again, it didn't even have a name before this came out of nowhere. Right. So how do we include this additional work that we can't even imagine? And And for the customer, I, I i can't imagine any customers that thought this was extraordinary everybody thought oh ppp loan my accountant there was an, they didn't think of anyone else on earth that needs to be helping them with that that's why we got the first phone call so we couldn't predict it but sure as heck our customers first. predicted that we were going to be the ones doing the work regardless
1: and, and that just shows you the, the trust trusting relationship. I mean, one thing, that I've got in my stack for the bonus show is, you know, Twitter's looking at the subscription model and Mm -hmm. teen had that great, great newsletter. I think last Saturday, you trust Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does anybody trust Twitter enough to subscribe to them? Hell no. Twitter's a sewer and everybody knows it. their, their problem is trust. And the fact that we have to, I mean, Hector, your story there about that, that woman's business, you kept her alive. That, you know, you kept her alive. Just like, a, that's why doctors do what they do. They keep their patients alive and healthy. This is what we do when this whole PPP thing came out and people say, how should I charge for this? Said, Damn it. I don't care about that. Just do what you have to do. Invest in the relationship because if you're looking for long-term customer value, invest. it requires investments in the relationship. Now, yeah, you can make up some of it on the forgiveness, no doubt about it. Uh, you could, if you were on a subscription model, you could build maybe that forgiveness into a subscription covered. You have to step up. Maybe you could sell it a la carte. A rider—that's uh, what I was thinking as yeah, a, a yeah, rider type thing. Yep, yep. Where we know it's going to disappear, we could certainly offer, you know, for things contingencies like this into the future. You know, if, if we sat down and brainstorm, we could probably think of other contingencies that come up, right? Besides a pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fire loss, could be, hurricane, you know, destroys my business records, whatever. And, and that could go into your tears. Um, but really what, what's valuable here is the relationship. And that's why the subscription model puts the relationship front and center. And that's what's different than worrying about what I'm going to price this customer for this possibly one-off service. I just don't want to think that way i just want to think about the relationship and doing what's right by the customer like you did
0: but but just but to add to that you're, you're right and, and the reason why i have to charge for forgiveness in, in my particular case is because uh all these forgiveness applications are going to be done during tax season and tax season is where we get the bulk of new customers for tax so what's yeah. going to happen is you know we, we're going to have a capacity issue regardless, right? You know, and we're sure. going to have to make a trade-off, you know, like this, the whole concept of trade-offs that you guys talk about, Peter Drucker talks about, you know, like in life, there's no better choice. There's just a trade-off, right? So I have to make the trade-off to say, look, I think thats it's probably more important to uh, help my current client uh, you know, not pay $100,000 back the, because of the pandemic loan versus taking on a new client uh, on a brand new relationship, potentially relationship that came in during tax season because their other accountant didn't have the capacity to help them uh, or file on time or whatever. So we're, we're going to have to make the trade-off. And and, and, and because this is a business that we have to pay our bills, that trade-off is going to be pretty much geared towards where the money is, right? Or where, where, or where the money potentially could be. Where the be.
1: higher value is. yeah, Right, the yeah. higher
0: value. And, and don't get me wrong. I know for a fact that I will be doing some forgiveness applications at no cost. I know it, but it's not based on the client relationship. It's really based on a client that maybe doesn't have any money to pay for that forgiveness and they're on dire ends. And I have to also sort of, let's call it give back. I know you guys don't like that expression, but I do have to give back at some of the blessings I've had, you know, as, as a YouTuber and making money out of just doing my practice work just as an educator and 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 use my gifts to help someone in need. That will happen. I there will be some sure. customers that, that that will get that for, for
1: free. Just to clarify on that, we don't like the term give back, but we like the deed. Right. Of <laughs> helping others. I mean it's what you're doing. It's just giving. Right. It's just pro bono work.
0: It's just giving. <laughs> pro, pro bono, bono yeah, work. probably a better term. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's fine. Big supporter of that. In fact, I think subscription even value pricing to some extent makes pro bono work more likely uh to happen because if you're on the hourly billing treadmill you're not going to do pro bono work because it's not billable what is
2: what about that is there is there ethical issues with especially with regard to the the repayment schedules to charge a percentage is there an ethical issue there
0: uh, so there, there was the only thing that came out on the actual bill itself, is that uh, you couldn't charge on the for, on the on the loan application. You could only charge the bank, and the bank was supposed to pay bankers in the back end. But the bill didn't specify charging or not charging for. The forgiveness. So there isn't something stated in the law. So we have to revert back to maybe what the AICPA says because they're kind of like our guiding force when it comes to ethics. And they specifically uh, mention in some, and they have a lot of PPP related um, uh, content. They specifically mention that there's no ethical or ethical issue in charging whatever. Your time, because the ICPA will say something like this: whatever your time is worth, right? For Charging have, yeah. for 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 your time. Now, a percentage of, of the forgiveness is technically a form of value pricing, right? Because I'm I'm getting a percentage of the yeah. value I'm creating, and the forgiveness is technically value because it's it's free money. Um, from from a personal perspective as a practitioner, this is the first thing that I thought of when we were thinking about how do we how are we going to price all these forgiveness. Applications because I have tons of leads, right? Just because if you go to YouTube and search PPP loan or whatever, you're going to see a lot of my content. So naturally people are going to say, let me might as well do it with the guy that knows, not my own CPA that hasn't even said a word about PPP. Mm. So I get a lot of people that already have CPAs, already have relationships, and they say, "Can you just do my loan forgiveness, right? Um, you know, that's obviously, you know, advertising and social media and credibility does, has that great uh, upside. But we were thinking, how are we going to take this avalanche of leads and, and price them in a, in a fixed way without having to spend 30 minutes in a value conversation about PPP loan forgiveness? Because that, that to me is quasi-ridiculous, just like Byron's example, right? Like if I'm a, I'm a small business owner and I'm going to a person to do PPP loan forgiveness and I'm saying, hey, I have a $100,000 loan, can you help me get it forgiven? I know you know how to fill out the documents. You know, as a customer, do I really want to have a one hour value conversation about that? You know what I mean? Like I, like as a customer, I think that's pretty that should be routine work and it should be like an oil change where I where I should be able to see two, three options in front of me and, and that's it. Right, right. Right. So, so that was a challenge. Right. So yeah. that was a challenge for me. Do I do value pricing? Do I do a fixed fee? And we, we thought of many things. We thought of charging a percentage of the loan charging a percentage of the actual amount that is forgiven, charging based on employees because not to get geeky about it, the work really is on calculating it in in the per employee level. So we have this internal formula where we do, we have have three tiers. We have a percentage of the loan, we have a flat fee based on number of employees, and then we have a percentage of the amount forgiven. And it turns out to be in average about two and a half percent. And Again, I tell my clients, if you think that's too high, here's a YouTube video. Here's an article I wrote. Do it yourself, right? Right. I mean, I'm not going to negotiate prices or anything like that. So that's the approach that we've taken. And of course, that's for new people. This is for people that we don't know, right? For current customers, we're going to value price the additional service. We're just going to figure out, like like, for example, I have one particular client who's a whale, right? Really great client. They're out of the country. They basically trust us to do everything for them. And we charge them top tier for tax returns, all that stuff. Their their loan application, we're going to charge very little because it's sort of like, okay, you've paid us so much over the years. You, you don't have to pay us that much more. And for us, it's pretty routine. We have all the work. But then we have clients that are sort of a pain in the butt. And they want us, they're going to want us to do it on the last day, right? They're going to give the information on the last day. They're going to give a mess and they're going to pay a lot more, even if the loan is a lot smaller. So we think of value pricing again or pricing the customer for this particular case, unless somehow we figure out how to build a subscription model that includes this. Well, I think
2: the, where, where the subscription model can come in is it could come in and adhere to the subscription. And I think you've already got two choices. One is, are you... Are you are you on a subscription with us for something else? In which case, then there's a different price for that. It's if you're not, then we charge you two and a half percent, right? That's a that, that you're not on a subscription anyplace else. But if you do come on board with us, if we are your firm that does your books and and provides your financial statements and all that stuff, then well, maybe we charge you two percent instead of two and a half. Or And then with regard to the ones that you say are going to be the pain in the butt and, and not do it at the last minute, that's where you put some kind of a guidance in there that says, okay, it's 2% if you get us your crap by this date. Right? If you don't, it's 5%. I mean, you know, the, and you put, put, putting little contingencies on it that allow for it. I don't know, just throwing that out. But it, but you answered my initial question, which is, there's no neither one of you seem to have an, any ethical issue with charging a percentage of the loan or the percentage of the forgiveness as part of the price in this particular case. I think that's the most important thing.
1: The, the only thing I can think of, Hector, because this is, you know, Mnuchin is kind of in charge of this, or at least partly, you know, it's Treasury. Does Treasury 230 have any jurisdiction here on this? Because they do not like contingencies on certain, you know tax issues they don't let you charge contingencies so i just don't know if there's yeah, any so, guidance on this
0: so believe it or not section 230 prohibits us charging a percentage for the amount of the refund right but it but it doesn't prohibit a percentage for the amount of uh of a contested amount so if there's an right. audit if there's an yes. audit right and then you and yep. you tell your client hey i can get you uh, you know, this this debt reduced by 20,000 or whatever, you can actually charge a percentage on, on everything post tax return. So that's an interesting piece. So if we were yeah. going we to apply Section 230 for this, it, it would be a percentage on the loan amount and then no issues on the forgiveness amount because the forgiveness is sort of like a post audit situation.
1: It's the same with a private letter ruling, right? You can charge a percentage, because it's kind of the same thing. If I can get your private letter ruling, we save 100 grand in tax, I can take 10% of it or whatever. Maybe this forgiveness would be put in that category. I don't know. I Maybe this has to be litigated to get a final answer if the AICPA is not push, pushing out anything definitive from their peak committee.
0: Well, if you want to geek out on, on tax for a minute, it's something. And that's I don't, free, but, I, don't. don't right. <laughs> I don't, I right. no, well, don't No. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm
2: sitting here going, do you remember Michael Keaton in, uh, in Mr. Mom, you know, what the 220, whatever it took. I'm like, section 230, 231, whatever it takes, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you, yeah, whatever yeah. you got to
0: block. I'll, I'll, I'll finish do. my thought on the, on the intersection between the IRS <laughs> and the PPP loans. So, uh, there is a, there was a, a something the irs said which they said if you took ppp money whatever you use that money for those expenses are not deductible right as they shouldn't be right which right but the but this is the challenge right when congress wrote this law they said non taxable right non taxable loan forgiven right or this forgiveness will not give will not be taxable income well technically right i mean this is obviously this is geeking out on, 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 on technicalities, but a lack of deduction is the same thing as a taxable income, right? So on the spirit of the law, we have a challenge. However, the IRS has a good standing on, on the fact of what they're saying. And I think it makes sense.
1: Not if I didn't pay tax on the income, which was the amount of the PPP. If yeah, I didn't invent- have no basis in it, so how can I possibly deduct the payroll or anything else I paid if I didn't take it in as income?
0: Oh, that makes sense to me. Uh, From a tax policy perspective, that makes sense to me. I
1: I predict the IRS will win. I'm just- Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They're
1: They're not going to let you deduct stuff that you didn't take into income. Not going to happen. Yeah, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. That that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah. We can get Dan
1: Mitchell back on here to- to
0: I had another another note here from the episode uh, that you guys recorded live here where we were talking about the the challenge of value pricing or subscription in real estate. Okay. That this is something that's from a philosophical point of view. i I think about it all the time. And I talk to my aunt who's a, who's a realtor and I, and I tell her, Hey, you should take on this issue. This industry is ripe for transformation. And she's Obviously, she comes back and tells me it's too hard. You don't understand. You got the seller. You got the buyer. You would have to have both sides agreeing to this, and you have the title companies. Like always, right? There's always yeah, you don't yeah. understand. My industry is different. Yeah. Excuse. Sure. But but right now during the pandemic, Zillow, you know the, the company mm-hmm. that does the web listings, they're they're blowing up. Okay, they're blowing up. Their their stock is through the roof. Apparently people are moving a lot (laughs) during the pandemic. Um, That's an interesting factoid, right? Because I guess some people are moving out of the big cities into the rural areas. And then some of the people Mm -hmm. in the rural areas being affected are moving to different rural areas. So that was something that caught me by surprise. But either way, this could tell you that I think there's an opportunity in real estate. And I think this is possible. Like I'll give you an example. When I bought my house, I did all the research up front. I found my house, I did the research, and then I went to my realtor and say, Here, here's a gift for you, right? Here's, I'm ready to put an offer. And she did almost no work, right? And then she's had some clients that, you know, make her look at 20 houses, 30 houses, then they finally find one, but then they have an objection about the proximity to the school or whatever. And then they go back and forth and, and she essentially charges or gets the same percentage. On both customers. So I think there's an opportunity in real estate. We want to talk about brokerage for a second. Let's just talk about like a real estate agent. Real estate agent could charge the professional service of giving advice on what to buy, what to look for and where to buy without having to have a contingency on the deal. Right. And you can choose to be, you can choose to be that realtor. You can say, look, my job is to tell you, this is a good deal. Let's look at the roof. Let's look at the foundation. Let's look at this. This neighborhood has this issue with the HOA. Let me point out the page in the HOA that you need to look at and make sure that you're aware of because this could be an issue because you got two dogs or whatever. Right. So you can have someone that's a true professional a specialist that understands the zone, the area, whatever, and can provide more value than someone just brokering a deal. Because of the knowledge they provide, so I think there's an opportunity of taking the value pricing concepts from accounting, from tax, from from attorneys, and 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 trying to help the real estate. I'm not taking on that job, by the way, but I'm saying that I think there's an opportunity for that, and there's ways to think of real estate like that as well.
1: Yeah, it's like a lifestyle consultant at that point, because you know you're telling about the schools and the neighborhood and the problems and its history, and I mean. I, it, look, here's the thing with this. and No matter what industry you're looking at, I just want to move the hell away from fee for service. I just want to move away from that. Mo- that model sucks because it starts at zero every friggin' day. I don't want to start mm-hmm. at zero anymore. And subscription <clears throat> starts with annual recurring revenue. Like teen says, you're starting on the, you know, the other side's 20 yard line every day rather than starting on your own goal line every day. I mean, that's phenomenal. And that's why these companies are seven to 10 times more valuable. I assure you that Dr. Paul is going to be able to sell his medical practice at a multiple that's much better, much greater than a fee for service doctor.
0: What kind of business
1: would I want to build? I'd want to build what Dr. Paul's building. He's building sustainable value there that a fee for service entity can't do. I just don't
2: want to do fee for service. And how much could Jody Gruden sell his for Gruden sell his for when he, he he's building? I mean, he my, weekly, Dudes, yeah, dude. Dude says I, I walk into the office every Monday and there's a pile of money in the bank. That was by, a quote from
1: yep, the episode. By <laughs> standard venture capital and and finance, you know, people that value these subscription economies when you look at the metrics, Jody's looking at a four or five times multiple uh, for his practice rather than one zero oh, or maybe one and a half. And possibly two if you're value pricing.
0: It's much one, more thing I find, one thing I find interesting on 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 subscription is for a startup. Look, okay, so I'm going to go back for a minute. Fee for service is a is a fair exchange, right? Here's my money. Here's the thing that you give me, right? Whether it's a service or a product. Whenever you're dealing with someone you don't know, right? We're talking about a company or a business without a brand or without loyalty or without you know, that, uh, you know, that trust in the market to do a subscription, like subscribe to this thing and the outcome will be there. It's a lot harder, right? So I think when you're getting started, when you have no brand, when you have no trust, you kind of have to start with fee for service because you, that's the only way to earn your respect. Correct.
1: Well, I'm going to challenge you on that because Dr. Paul started DPC right out of the gate. Now Albeit, he did have a job in an ER that he moonlit while he was ramping up. Because you're right, it takes Mm -hmm. a while to build those relationships. But he started right out of the gate. And there's been a bunch of other doctors that have done that as well. They didn't convert from fee-for-service. They came right out of residency and built these practices.
0: But you Um, got a credential. But he's got a credential. I mean, that's the one thing that it's important. So there's a CPA. No, no, I'm with you 100%. But a bookkeeper wouldn't. You know what I mean? So that, that I just want to I I take it broad, right? Because like for me, True. like I'm in a different situation, right? Because I've focused on brand and then I focused on product, right? So I started with brand and then went with product. So for me, it's very easy to sell anything to anyone, right? And and as a matter of fact, I, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, I don't take referrals anymore. Like if someone says, hey, call Hector is a great CPA and the customer calls me and they don't say, I saw you in YouTube. I don't take the client because I don't have the context of, 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 what, of what, what I bring, so I've so I've created a brand in which I want people to look through that lens before they hire me to buy whatever. In subscription, you need that you need to build that first. I think that people need to you need to have the brand and trust in the market for people to say, okay, I'm gonna pay 100 bucks a month or whatever to get a deliverable because I trust this company can do it.
1: Just let me understand something. You, will you take a referral from a, an existing client of yours? i not
0: saying no. I, I, I won't. If, so won't? if existing client says, call these guys a great CPA, right? And then I talk to the client and the client says, hey, George told me to call you. And then I say, hey, have you, have you, have you seen my content? Have you seen my, my videos or, my, or, or what I've written or whatever? And they say, no, they just said, he said, you're a good CPA. I'll ask him three questions you know, about the business. And I say, I'm going to send you a link to give you some context of what we do. And then when you, if you think that makes sense, we'll talk again. I won't spend more than 10, 20 minutes talking to a client because I don't want them to be, again, this is in, this is in lieu of me, not in lieu, but this is for me to transform into a subscription business. I need to be very specific about what, what I do or what, what, what we do, what we can provide to our client. I wanna be sure. very specific about the type of client that we want because in order, in order to make it scalable, I need to detach myself sort of personally from, from the deal. But, but currently because of value pricing and my brand, you know, my personal brand is pretty much what, what sells. And because, I, because of the price levels I wanna sell at, I want the client to see me through this lens of high trust, right? When I talk to some of my colleagues and I'm trying to tell them, give them ideas, right? Because I kind of live by curiously through people that ask me, how do I make my business successful? And I say, take a look at subscription and I kind of lay out the foundations that you give me. They tell me, but how is the client going to know what they're getting? How is the client going to? And then the conversation always goes back to brand and trust. It's like, how do I have a subscription business without having a, a brand, a trust or a brand First, where people can trust that just paying, throwing hundred dollars a month to this person will give me this, this deliverable, this covered, right? What you were saying, you know, all these things are covered without knowing exactly what I'm getting in exchange. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. No, absolutely.
1: No, it's it's. The, uh, I just read a book on this, uh, the forever transaction, but she calls it the promise. You know, what's your promise to the customer, and that's a critical component of this. Back- Position and yeah, for a new company, it, um, it it's challenge. How do they, how do they know? But these companies do it. I mean, they, you know, it's not that hard to delight a customer if you've got a good offering. If you if you're different, I would say to the bookkeeper comment. Yeah, it's hard to start out as bookkeeper. You're not credential. Blah blah blah. But if you have a different offering that's different from all your competitors that are out there, hourly billing or you know whatever, I think it's easier to differentiate yourself in that space with subscription.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So the, the point you're making, which is the point I wanted to make, but you did a much better job, is that the subscription model in itself could be that trust builder, could be that brand builder. It has to um, be, because
1: you're not going to yeah. keep somebody past 90 days unless you perform. But right. there's one specific
0: <clears throat> thing that I've learned from you and from both of you guys. Uh, one of your podcast episode, I think, focused on that, I think is extraordinary promises or something like that you were talking about extraordinary the, guarantees. guarantees yeah that, that, that one um, yeah. nothing has done more for my business than the you're not happy no questions asked your money back and I think that's going to be a fundamental <laughs> that, thing for that would be a big part of it yep. it
1: that, is Yeah, because mm-hmm. I think look I, I, being a CPA I guess it's hard to build tr- how do we build trust no matter how we build forget how we <laughs> build how do we build trust how, do, how, how does the customer know I'm competent you know I, that how does a bank start? Right? Yeah. How, how does
2: a doctor start? <laughs> Fred, what was that? What was the Steve yeah, Martin thing? Fred's, Fred's bank. bank. Um, hi, I'm Fred. Hi, I have Fred. a bank. <laughs> you have fifteen hundred? Put it here. White Fred's suit, right hand pocket. Okay, we're good. I mean, like, but but honestly, take yourself through that. Like, how do you start a bank? Like, <laughs> from a trust perspective. So there's, and that they, they happen. It happens. So.
1: You know, it was really interesting reading Dr. Paul's book, Ed, and you, you got the chance to interview him on, I was gone, but um, you know, he really worked his butt off in the early days of building up that. I'm sure he was counting just like I did when I started my firm. I was, I knew in my head exactly how many customers I had and I'm sure he did too. And I'm sure he, you know, felt physically ill every time one left. And I mean, this is a risk. There's no guarantees here, you know. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you you gotta you gotta put in the blood, sweat, and tears. It doesn't happen easy for anybody, no matter what your model is. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. I find this model to be also very much recession proof. Like that. I mean, yes and no, right? Because. One of the interesting thing is when I was sitting down with with when I, when I sit down with my customers and talk about Hector, let's let's go through the expenses and let's see what we can reduce so we can you know, you know what what are the, what what, can we, what fat can we cut off? Every what gets looked at first are those monthly subscriptions, the twenty dollars a month, the fifty dollars a month, the ten dollars a month that usually in good times people just see them in the credit card and they're like ah someday I'll cancel it, but now that's what they're looking at now. So it's an interesting situation where I think that subscription is a great recession builder for my professional uh, business or for anybody's professional uh, services business. But it's also the the, the things that people kind of get, people have this subscription fatigue, right? Where there's yeah. like everything is a subscription and, you know, so it, 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 the, the challenge is going to be, and I hope you guys get deeply into this as you study the concept more, is in this whole, you know, brand building and trust building concept, right? You know, because with value pricing, because of the big value conversation, because of the uh, satisfaction guarantee, because of just the process of sitting down with someone and touching all those pain points, they're, they're huge value builders. Like I've, I've, just the practice of value conversation in itself creates value, right? Like just spending time with the client and asking the right questions beautiful questions creates, creates value. But with subscription, just to make the business model work, you got to remove that. And it's just this subscription becomes this like app, right? It becomes this thing that you pay for is sort of faceless or, you know, it has a, it has a brand promise attached to it. But I think the challenge is if you can't continuously to build, build value on it, um, like, you, like you said, Ed, like you, you add more services, like Amazon Prime surprises us with new services all the time. For for an accounting firm, I'm struggling to figure out what that looks like, like calling someone out of nowhere and say, hey, by the way, we just throw, throw this new service in. But accountants that most clients don't want their accountants to be intrusively just throwing services in there. So I've been thinking about right. that. Yeah.
2: So let me, let me back back because I had this thought and then we let it go because we went down this. I, you, know, you, I, you could also make the argument, Hector, with regard to, to, to PPP and EIEIO. I know there's another program out there. I can never remember the initials that are for it. Just conclude it in your current subscription. And and just 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 all toward goodwill going going toward the future. And so we we cover you. We got we got this covered. Do not do not do anything with regard to payback and charging them additional for that. It's just it's, it. Yep, that we're that's included. That's what we that this is what we do. This is how we take care of you. Um, now I, I heard your argument then earlier that you said well and then we, now we're going to have to worry about balance and 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 perhaps the busiest time of year when we're bringing on new customers. Yeah, right. Uh, and, but, but I think you're correct in saying that it's going to be the challenge. You are absolutely right in that it's going to be the challenge for all professionals, not just CPAs. But I think this is a classic example of, well, I can see how you could do it if you were a doctor right because there's this new stuff coming in or i can see how you could do it if you are a lawyer i can see how if you're doing the state planning but you know for my you don't understand my business right there's nothing new happening in cpas bullshit like let's financial planning right you the uh, blockchain or bitcoin blockchain cryptocurrency investments i there i'm just trying to come up with different things all of these things that you can just throw into the the mix over time that you start to, to college planning. Um, uh, I mean, there's, there's just
0: a ton of things that you can just include in. You, you, you're a hundred percent right. But when you're an app, like a Netflix, right? Throwing things in there, it's, it's, it's a pre-production and then it gets thrown into the mix and then the, 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 the delivery of that value, it's automated, right? In the CPA world, because everything is so bespoke, coming up with a new service, a new product, a new thing, I'm not saying it can't be automated, there's tons of apps that can be added and stuff like that, but most of it requires us to, to call the client and say, hey, we added this new service, by the way, this requires me to block Tuesday two to four, right? It requires you to block Tuesday two to four, sit down and talk about this new financial planning, whatever it happens to be. So all of these new services, in order for them to be tangible for the client, they have to use them because they're not this uh, new function in an app. There are, you know, time on the schedule with the human being in the practice that's going to deliver that, that product. And I, I'm, Absolutely. Not, I'm not against. And, 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 I'm not and against here's the thing with that, Hector. I
1: agree because we, we've got this thing right now where it's a new way of looking at your retirement planning and it doesn't just look at your, you know, most financial planners. Oh, what's your risk level? Hector, one to 10. You know, they try and do everything based five. on five. <laughs> this looks more at your actuarial table and tries to figure out you know, how long you're going to live, how much money do you need, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really cool. It's pretty innovative. And no matter how we deal with the pricing on that, we got to introduce it and talk about it to every single customer, I, whether you're billing them by the hour. So I, I don't see the difference. I mean, if, if a concierge doctor says, oh, well, we can do chiropractic now, or we can do nutritional consulting. Um, we have that under our roof and that's just now included, uh, then people are going to access it if they want it and they're not going to touch it if they don't. Hence the portfolio effect. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but the innovation is just kind of baked into that model. And, and, and,
2: and look, the, go back to the Netflix. The, not all of their series are successful. Some of them suck. And they spend millions of dollars to get it in. You know, this gets back to the the whole thing about the, I forget what episode we were talking about this and the Japanese firm that was interviewing the people about movies, you know, and they say, well, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to do 10 movies this year. Two of them are going to be blockbusters, you know, three of them are going to do okay, and five of them are going to be crap. This is gonna, and the, the Japanese ask, well, how come we just don't do the two ones that are going
1: <laughs> to two blockbusters? blockbusters. We just yeah. do the two
2: blockbusters. Well, Because you don't know. <laughs> that's why, right? And you know, Netflix doesn't know if such, something's going to be a hit. They have no idea, and they spend millions of dollars, quite literally, to introduce it, and the, and then the, the people said, well, that sucked. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that, I mean, maybe the there's a way
1: you yeah. roll out a new service and you you present it to the customer you set up that meeting and if they want it you know maybe you say well you have to step up to the next subscription level because that's where it's embedded or or whatever but i, I just you know we have that issue no matter what business model introducing right. new services
0: right i that, yeah my, my com- I'm, I'm i'm with it 100% my my concept was just building the it's just i guess building the capacity while doing the transition right i think that's all it that is. yeah you know, yeah, like, but, cause I don't have a yeah, million dollars yeah, it, in the it, bank it, to do this. It's, in, the, it's, it's swallowing
2: the fish. Right.
1: But, but I think, you know, and this is tough for me too, because I'm a former cost accountant. I mean, we're CPAs. This is how we think there is no cost to serve here. It, the, the cost is in the, in the firm itself. You know, that's a bundle of fixed costs, no matter what happens. And the fact is we have capacity if we're niched, if we're well-positioned, if we've got good pricing, you know, all of those things, then the clients we take on, I just don't see why we can't say, Shh, you're covered. If we can do it, you're covered.
2: And, and I will say this, Hector, I think you're exactly right. It is a huge mindset shift. And this is something that I've complained about in not only the accounting space, but also in in, in mid-market technology organizations, is this notion that we we, we get we get we get customers and then we build capacity to serve this is this is a ridiculous notion when and the example i usually go back to is fred smith and building yeah. fedex in order to ship one package, one package, you had to buy planes and, and all of this stuff. It was huge. It was, you build capacity first. That's what entrepreneur, that's what the risk is about. It doesn't always work. You screw it up. And this is where I, I would, the, the response, and you're right, is accountants are risk averse and they're not going to do that. Yeah, except some are.
0: Well, I'll, I'll close it like this. And, and just so you can see my, my perspective. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always with you guys and I've been w- listening to your podcast for years and I've, I fly over to wherever you guys teach something live. I've proven that. Right. So I'm, yes, I'm a groupie you have, for sure. You have. Right. And you are, which is I why love. we're we able to treat it. you like this too. Right, we, right. We, we, <laughs> and, and and I challenge, you know, and, and, and I tend to I tend to put some challenges upon you because I want to hear the responses because I also yeah. want to hear myself fighting with myself and figuring out if I responded to myself <laughs> correctly on this but one of the one of the major shifts that I did and and the reason why I got to where I was is because Ron Baker said, you know effectiveness over efficiency and and and, and when I thought of effectiveness, I thought, well, how can I be more effective? Well, I can be more effective if I can spend uh, more time with less clients, if I can be, work deeper with less clients, and spend time developing my own expertise. And because of that, I personally, uh, I took myself out of the schedule in my business between 15 to 20 hours a week, I spend marketing our business, like I literally have 50% of the capacity to serve, because on the other time, I'm either reading, learning, writing, doing a video, doing a podcast. And I don't see any of that stuff as wasted time or wasted opportunity. That's building capacities, building trust, is, build, is building a brand. And then once I do get the 20 hours to work with my clients or whatever, I deliver as much value as possible. But specifically, when we talk about adding more bonus services to the subscription model, which is really what, what has gotten, gotten me to think long and hard about this in today's conversation is I think of every extra two hours that I spent working with a client and a new thing that I don't know if it's going to work or not, it's two hours I take away from a video I could be doing or a podcast or something I could be reading. I think of the trade-off all the time. So the mindset shift would be here, would be the same thing I had five years ago, which is, hey, it looks like in order to have a successful subscription business, I have to now carve out time from, from, whatever, video making, podcast, into building capacity. So when I go to the market or when I sprinkle my new customers with these new services or where the new ones come in, now they're coming in with bigger capacity to offer. We can gradually raise the subscription prices and hopefully get the investment back. So I I guess that's the the mindset shift I have to make, which is I have to do it again. I have to start over again. (laughs) Or or
1: just yeah. delegate. I mean, why can't some team members do some of this stuff?
0: Yeah, uh, the, the the talent per se, when it comes to uh, product creation, is it's uh, I got the monopoly on that, unfortunately.
1: Right, right. You can create right. the product, but I mean, who executes it? Maybe can be done somewhere else.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's the stuff that that I've been successful at getting more and more people to work with my team members instead of me pricing solved that problem right we give people two options that are like work with me and in two weeks or work with Alex now and then you see two pricing differences and they're like well I, I can work with the Hector that I fell in love with in a YouTube video or I can work with his partner and there's a price difference and there's also a time delay right so basically I, I, I put myself I make it harder for people to specifically want to work with me by doing those two things making it more yeah. expensive
1: mm-hmm. I- and having them wait And having him wait, you know, I've watched Dan Morris go through the same transformation because as his, his, his bandwidth uh, is sucked up by these very high end, you know, engagements, he's had to delegate a lot more to his team and just, and just back out of, I mean, he doesn't prepare a tax return. He's not doing any of that stuff anymore, but it was a hard transition for him. Um, I just want to say one thing too about the subscription fatigue issue because I'm I'm that's something that all subscription businesses are really really sensitive to because that 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 just feeds into the churn rate. First off, here's what we do know. B2B uh, churn um, is is less than B2C. So it, it, there's there's much less churn in a, in to a B2, B2B environment. Uh Zorro is uh, chief data officer, chief data scientist, I should say, is about to come out a, with a book. Uh, in fact, it's next week, I think, on the 11th, called "Fighting Churn." Um, and, and as from what I see, at it's pretty wonky. So I'm not, I'm not going to commit that I'm going to read this thing. But um, he, he's gone through the entire data set, you know, of this and really looked at churn. B2B, b to, b, b to C. I'm sure he breaks it out by industry and cuts the data in all sorts of different ways. But if you've got a really good value proposition, and I think what, what is a big piece of that, remember, Hector, you got peace of mind on your side. Your people, just like a concierge doctor, hey, Hector's going to take care of me, whether it's PPP or, or whatever comes up that I need, I'm taken care of. I'm covered. Hector's going to stay on top of it. That's huge, what would we pay for that in our lives? Whether it was a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, we pay a fortune for that kind of coverage. And that's what the subscription model enables you to do and build into your price, even as a minimum.
0: Right. Now I'm, I'm with you. Like, the, like you said, trust is everything, right? So when you subscribe to something and you're subscribing it because what you're getting in exchange is trust that they, they will deliver what you get, that's everything. Like, like I'll, yep. I'll, I'll close it with this because I know we're up to the hour. In my household, I don't know what we spend on anything. I, I'm the accountant, I'm the CPA, but I don't know anything that goes on. <laughs> You're probably I trust, better off. I trust my wife blindly <laughs> to handle all of our home's finances. And that is so liberating. And, and when I, when, uh, I think of, when I think of even my team members struggling to see the value we create, and I tell them, look, I personally don't worry about the most fundamental thing of my life, which is how much our mortgage is. Like, I couldn't even tell you, like, honestly. You know, because I, I've I've delegated to someone else. Not even somebody else took over that task, and in exchange, of course, I, I don't have the information handy or whatever. You know, there's a trade-off, but it's very liberating, and then allows me to to go spend time wherever I want to. And then that's the stuff that we communicate to to our clients. It's like, look, you know, if if this is what you want, is that like you don't want taxes to be something you think about, you don't want bookkeeping to be something you think about, inventory management to be something you think about, the things that we do, um, this, that's where the value is. And, and, and in exchange, you tell me what I must do in order to give you that peace of mind. And then the customers will tell you what they want. And then you figure out whether or not you can deliver that for the price. I mean, that's where value pricing was so, so valuable for me. And that's the stuff that's making it really hard for me to switch to subscription because subscription feels like it doesn't give me that flexibility anymore. Those levels of conversations, that exchange for peace of mind for this price. And I know I can get there, but it's, it's going to be, there's, like you said, some restructuring, some reinvesting, some mindset shift. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate uh, this conversation.
1: Thank you, Hector. Thanks for doing this. It's great to have you out there.
0: Right, so bonus episode one hundred in the can.